on this episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast, talking about identifying risky drivers through Drivermatics with Roberto Sacconi from Drive. The InsureTech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into technology that we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. And we are back with another episode. My illustrious co-host, the most interesting man in insurance, Rob Galbraith. What's going on, Rob? Not much, James. Not much. Just living the dream. How about yourself? Yeah, same here. You know, it's already the second month of the uh, new year. Uh, as usual, it's blowing by. Been uh, been busy, been seeing customers, talking insurance, talking policy and claims. Went live with my new claim software, like live live. And it's super exciting. So I know, dude. Three and a half years of work for that. That <laughs> 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 he, he just come out of the gate and then start fixing stuff as soon as you get there. You know, it's super exciting. It's been a good month. Um, January was exciting for us because of that. So it's uh, good to good to be on the uh, good to be on the old, the old El Podcasto talking about uh, a word you might not have heard: drivermatics. It's like a combination of telematics and computer vision and some other really fun things we're going to talk about with Roberto Sacconi from Milan. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I had to do it. I, I'm, I'm going to fall into my Mario brothers, you know, Mario and Luigi. Um, it's like, I love, I love Italy. I love Italian food. I love Italians. And, uh, and this guy's no exception. Roberto Sacconi, he is from Milan originally, but, uh, but, uh, but no longer. Uh, and we are going to, we're going to talk about him and his company drive and what they're doing, computer vision and telematics, uh, into this really cool phrase, drivermatics. Roberto, how are you doing? Hi, James. I'm very good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me here. Yeah. Glad to have you on board. And, uh, where are you joining us from today? From Danbury, Connecticut. Yeah. See right near New York, New York, the larger, less cool Milan of the United States. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. It's not. There's no other Milan, man. <laughs> what a unique place. How long have you lived in Danbury, Connecticut? Uh, it's uh, 24 years now. 24 years. My goodness. Yeah. yeah. It's a little colder there in the uh, wintertime than Milan. Uh, yes. Although this winter has been an exception. has been <clears throat> surprisingly mild. Really? Yeah, because because it's been it's been it's been cold here in Texas. <laughs> but but look, well, um, it, Rob's laughing at me because he's from Michigan, but he lives in Texas, so he's tainted by like harsh, <laughs> horrifically cold Michigan winters. Yeah, yeah, like it was 44 today, and I was unhappy. I was like, ah, it's <laughs> too it's too cold, but that's okay. Well, come 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 over to Connecticut. Now this year uh, we had pretty much a no snowstorm, just a couple of uh, very you know one inch uh, levels uh, snowfalls. Wow! Uh, when I came here in the '98, we had 13 snowstorms. Oh my gosh! I thought, uh, okay, this is uh, this is very different from Italy, <laughs> but now <laughs> not anymore. Yeah, it's an old hat for you now. Thus proving that people can get used to anything, yeah. right? Yeah, we can get used to anything, but we're not going to talk about the weather. We're not going to talk about New York. Milan. We're going to talk about driving mm-hmm. and cars and insurance. So, but, but, but before we get into that, I would like to know kind of, because this podcast is half about the technology and half about the guests. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know a little bit about you. So you, you're, you, uh, I'm born and raised in Milan. You went to school in the area. Like, give me your background and what led you to drive and to Informatica. Yes. Um, I joined IBM uh, a long time ago. Um, I was, um, became quickly manager of a multimedia developing uh, uh, lab in, um, in Italy. 
serving special customized products uh, for the European market. Um, I really liked uh, the idea of working on image processing, video processing, which was not necessarily an area of interest uh, to IBM at the time, but speech was, and um, became the lead of uh, speech recognition activities uh, in uh, Italy first and Europe. Um, I was responsible for the first release uh, of uh, a speech recognition system for Italy. That was the first one that IBM put on the market, believe it or not. And then it expanded to Europe and then to the US and then became a, a global phenomenon. And I've been working on speech recognition and synthesis and dialogue management uh, NLP for most of my career in IBM. Um, as part of it, uh, I uh, looked for ways to adapt the technology to other spaces. Um, <clears throat> so we, we started initially with uh, PCs and servers uh, in radiologist uh, uh, settings or so. And then we moved uh, to mobile settings uh, and cars. Uh, starting in uh, 2002, I started working specifically on conversational systems for cars, working with uh, uh, very big uh, um, OEMs uh, in Japan and Europe and the States, particularly with Honda, I worked for about 10 years, um, bringing speech capabilities into the vehicle. And one of the ideas was to reduce the distraction caused by richer and richer dashboards you can get into cars, which uh, um, speech recognition partially helps with but it's not the uh, only element. Um, bringing speech in a car can help, but can also distract. And what really um, matters is uh, understanding how much you can talk and when you can talk. And that depends on what is happening on the road and what happens inside the, the, ca the cabin. So I um, started thinking of an idea of uh, creating a personal co-pilot, if you wish, that uh, has <clears throat> keeps an eye on you and is aware of the situation, uh, understands whether you are ready to cope with traffic or not, whether you're paying attention to things on the road or not, uh, and then warns you when you don't. Um, so that was an idea that was formed over time where I started thinking of ways to uh, incorporate uh, experiencing the technologies that I was mentioning in, and bring them into cars. Uh, my last stint at IBM was um, as part of the Watson team. I was a program director of uh, the group that uh, developed the, uh, the solution to beat uh, uh, Jeopardy. Uh, I mean, be become a champion, champion Jeopardy. And then I, um, I led a little uh, effort initially, uh, work <clears throat> meant to use uh, AI in the healthcare space. And that was very early on, if you wish. Uh, now we are in a completely different space. So there's uh, major players uh, uh, looking at the same. But it was very eye-opening for me uh, how AI can help uh, use uh, combining speech, uh, visual capabilities uh, into uh, analyzing, observing what the drivers do and find a way to help them. So that's really where the whole idea started. And then when I left IBM, created the drive, I decided to focus on the space specifically. Uh, initially, the idea was to help uh, teenage drivers, uh, senior uh, drivers uh, who may have uh, trouble understanding um, <clears throat> whether they're paying the right level of attention or not. And then we expanded to the commercial sector where professional drivers are exposed to risk uh, all day long. And uh, more recently, we started working with insurance companies uh, to help them understand uh, differentiate between good and bad risk uh, and how they can promote uh, discounts uh, safely without uh, taking into any chances, monitoring drivers, etc. Awesome. And there's... You know, this, this has gone pretty mainstream. I mean, I, I drive a, a, a GM product. Mm -hmm. And GM has, uh, you know, I have a, I have Super Cruise on it. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it drives itself, has a camera that studies my behavior and then alerts me if I'm not looking at the road. Mm -hmm. uh, when Super Cruise is on, it, it'll, you know, it'll dis disengage Super Cruise and slow the car down and pull it over if, if you know, you fall asleep. It, it does all kinds of things. It's a... It's a camera and sensor babysitter. Mm -hmm. eh, pretty damn accurate. Uh, I've tested it. You know, <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? And uh, 
It, I, so so we, we've seen this pretty mainstream GM as well uh, with the OnStar product allows you to analyze all of your driver data and then ship it out to insurers. They have, they have partnered insurance companies. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's between OnStar and Super Cruise and, and GM, one of the world's largest auto manufacturers, and not the only ones that are doing this. So it's, it's come fairly mainstream. So where where do you think you play in a world with, um, you know, with, with OnStar having, a, having mainstreamed telematics and GM having taken you know, at least facial analysis and, and eye tracking. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they've done some interesting things. Like where, where do you differentiate yourself from what's mainstream available on the market from the major manufacturers? Yeah, you know, we, as a startup, uh, we have to be cautious in how we apply technology, how we present uh, ourselves in the market. So we, our approach is to come in as an aftermarket solution for cars, for vehicles that don't have much of any kind of assist. So that there really applies to the vast majority of vehicles on the road. Uh, when it comes uh, to a newer generation vehicles, they have some uh, of these capabilities over very uh, sophisticated ones. Uh, of course, uh, um, we would not uh, apply our aftermarket solution. In that case, the idea is to license some of uh, aspects of our technology to um, <clears throat> vehicle manufacturers that they have the underground, the underlying uh, capabilities built in, and then we can provide some uh, context analysis uh, and intelligence uh, that we are proud of to those vehicles. So today it's mostly call them smart dash cams that you apply into the vehicle that they give you warnings. They don't act on the vehicle. Uh, we have no pretense to uh, steer the vehicle or uh, slow it down for you. We just uh, tell you if you're not doing it, then you should. So it's more a tool for the driver than for the car. But the, conceptually, the uh, the scope is very similar. We want to understand if you're, if you're getting too close to another vehicle and you're not slowing down sufficiently, you're going to, getting too fast to a, an intersection where there's a stop sign or a red light, and we give you a warning that you should need to slow down earlier. That's very similar to what the driving assist solutions do. Um, the difference is that we tend to we combine what uh, we see on the road and what we see inside the cabin, uh, make sure that the driver is aware. So we don't uh, warn a driver who is already doing the right thing, uh, but we do warn the one who is not uh, paying attention to the pedestrian trying to cross the street uh, and, he, and the driver's looking in the opposite direction. Yeah, because you have a you have a risk of over-alerting and then numbing drivers yeah. to getting yes. alerted. It's like having a what uh, what we used to call a fuzz buster, you know, radar detector in the car and it and it goes off all the time and then you start to ignore it and no longer no longer becomes effective. If you over-alert, and this is this is a danger any software or hardware system has. If you over-alert alert the user, they begin to ignore it and they just tune it out and it ceases mm-hmm. being effective. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So yeah. for now, it's aftermarket retrofits that make the most sense for this. Yes, that's correct. Where have you seen the most success? What, what, like, just so we can kind of get up to speed on this and I'll, uh, I'll hand it over to Rob. Like what type, cat, you know, category and class of vehicle or category and class of driver. You said you started with with like professional drivers who have a lot of they have a lot of risk, and then you have casual drivers, everyday casual drivers who aren't professional drivers. Like, mm-hmm. where are you seeing the most success and the most uptake? Right. My impression is that the two areas where you can help the most uh, are with long haul drivers uh, and when it comes to um, feeling a little drowsy, and that can happen if you're driving for long hours, especially at night. And with uh, um, local delivery guys uh, in terms of distraction. So distraction is an issue during the day on the short trips. Uh, drowsiness is a big issue on uh, long trips. Uh, both are important. Both can happen at any time of the day, but uh, there is some preference uh, for them happening different times of the day. I wouldn't say that uh, people are immune to either. Uh, anybody can be a little uh, drowsy at times uh, or can be a little too distracted at times. So we, we look at both, but 
in terms of adoption and where we can provide the best benefits, those are two spaces that I mentioned. Makes sense. So you said there's a combination of cameras and sensor data. Mm-hmm. Are you plugging into the car's OBD2 port so you can pull data off the car, or are you solely relying on your device's sensors? Today, we are solely relying on the device. Uh, we have the ability, We have, as a matter of fact, we are powering the unit from the OD2 bus, but um, initially the decision was not to use it because um, that could lead to some liability in, uh, in case of somebody hacking the vehicle. Um, so if somebody tried to hack our device uh, and through our device uh, managed to hack the vehicle, it would be a serious issue. And we decided to just stick to uh, power only for now. But we have the option of uh, reading information from the OD2 bus if you need to, uh, vehicle notification number, uh, engine load, uh, uh, odometer, so to double check uh, the information that we collect from the device. Makes sense, and you can you can pull a, a good bit of data off of OBD2. I mean, it's a uh, it's a pretty robust yes. uh, data feed, even though it's mm-hmm. a very slow protocol. Yeah, and <laughs> it's slow and old, but it's standard. <laughs> And it has what nine volts on it? Is that why you're powering it? Because it's a it's a, it's a nine volt power bus or what? No, well the uh, the device operates out of uh, five volts, uh, so it can be charged uh, over you know USB charging cable. Yeah. Uh, or even case OBD2, there's a little power supply that converts uh, from twelve to twenty four, depending on the vehicle, to five. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I I I, I uh, haven't haven't studied the uh, OBD2 data data or power bus uh, specs, so I didn't know what it had. But that's interesting, and it's good to hear what you're. What you're up to there, Rob? What you got? Yeah, so uh, Roberto, really thrilled to to have you on the podcast. Um, I, I know what's challenging uh, for folks that are either watching this or on YouTube or, or listening to it on their favorite podcast platform is uh, being able to to show uh, your solution because I've seen some of the videos that you have um, uh, for Drive and just the coordination of kind of seeing. You know, outside the cab, like what's the external environment and then syncing that with, you know, hey, at the moment you've got a pedestrian a little bit farther away or a, a stoppage in traffic. And then you're able to actually look internally and say, hey, is the, are the driver's eyes up? Are they aware that, you know, there's a, a potential obstacle there or are they distracted? They're looking at the dash. They're looking at the phone. The eyes are, are getting heavy, as you kind of mentioned, Roberto. So you're, you're seeing both inside and outside this kind of driver maddocks part not just the telematics not just the data from the vehicle itself mm-hmm. but you're also getting information about the driver so maybe you can just talk a little bit about uh, the the to describe your solution as best as you can in words and you know if you want to mention a website that folks can go see some of these these videos uh you're welcome to do so but maybe just give our folks just an idea for um the the, the basis of what it is that you're capturing and looking for Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the the dash cam, which is uh, the main part of the sensor, um, looks uh, like most of the dash cams you can purchase today. Uh, looks about at the road uh, in inside the cabin. The um, the camera looks at the road, uh, uses a wide angle view so that uh, you, you capture anything that happens before the vehicle. And we have the ability to detect uh, most of the moving objects that are of interest. So we we don't care about uh, a pole of um, holding a, a sign, but we look at the sign. Uh, we look at traffic lights. Uh, we look at uh, cars um, in uh, trucks and buses and, and bicycles, motorcycles, uh, anything that is not part of what is called the road furniture and is moving and then potentially may be associated with the human beings that you want to uh, protect. And then pedestrians, of course. Not so much animals, but I would say anything that moves uh, is of, of interest. Uh, we look at the position, we classify it, we look at the distance uh, in the direction of movement. 
And based on that, uh, we estimate that where uh, that object is going to be one, two, three, ten frames later, and whether the, there's a, a, a collision course that they need to be aware of. So the distance, the speed, uh, the location all tells you how much of a risk uh, you are starting to get into. There are some difficult situations like um, pedestrian waiting at the uh, corner of the intersection, waiting for the green light uh, to uh, to change, and then they may <clears throat> decide to jump uh, with the red uh, whilst you are uh, driving. And uh, if you see them, you have a time to slow down or swerve. If you don't see them, you may risk uh, colliding with them. So there are situations where uh, detecting whether the risk is going to be real or not uh, may be tricky, but that's one of the areas we're specializing in. At the same time, let's say you are waiting at a traffic light, the car's not moving, you're not uh, at risk of hitting anybody, but you're ready to go. <clears throat> and then uh, whilst the pedestrian is uh, coming across, uh, you look at the other direction, make sure there's a no vehicle coming, and then uh, without uh, paying attention again to the pedestrian, you start moving because last you checked the pedestrian was not moving, and then you hit them. So uh, th those uh, those situations are very uh, critical, and they're uh, on our uh, alert list. Fair enough. So we've we've talked about the technology, yes. and we've talked about how this improves safety. But what's mm -hmm. the intersection with insurance? Are you looking at architecting a program where the insurance company would subsidize? the cost of this or provide this or discount premium if this was purchased? I mean, what what does the insurance program look like? Yeah, I think this is an interesting space. Uh, insurance companies traditionally were basing the premium on a number of uh, parameters they could collect. They were more statistical. Uh, so depending on where you live, uh, <clears throat> um, traffic rates and whether you drive at night uh, or a number of uh, uh, crashes you may have had in the past, um, or credit, your credit score, uh, you would be classified in a certain category and then you would get a certain premium for your vehicle and the value of the vehicles, et cetera. Um, I think uh, here we are now approaching a point where telematics, uh, in particular behavior of the driver, can impact uh, the risk attitude or whether you are good or bad risk uh, in the eyes of the insurance. So now the technology can be used uh, to uh, help you uh, screen your abilities, uh, your uh, skills, really, driving skills, and your ability to uh, evaluate risk at all times, uh, to tell the insurance, hey, am I a really good driver? I'm always paying attention. Give me a discount. And um, there are many companies that are starting to look at, into that uh, to be more competitive. So if you can reduce the risk of loss, you can afford a higher discounts, and that attracts uh, more drivers. In, in that respect, uh, a solution like this is a win-win because it allows uh, the driver to get better discounts and allows uh, the insurance uh, have a better insight in uh, control the level of risk they're taking. Yeah, and have you have you actually been able to prove prove out the stats that that people who have this are yes. actually a better better risk and have lower cost of claims? Well, in order to approve uh, the uh, the stats, you need uh, quite a, quite a few uh, drivers on the road uh, in a certain amount of time to uh, statistically say. Uh, usually, I would expect a five percent of this type of crashes over six months, and now it's only one percent, and then you can quantify it. Uh, we have been uh, in the field for quite some time. We have seen uh, changes in behaviors of drivers. Um, but to, in order to monetize that, uh, you need uh, more drivers, uh, more miles driven, uh, and then be a lot more specific. So we're in the process of deploying more and more of the units. And yes, I would say in three, six months time, we should be able to prove uh, all of it. Uh, right now, it's, it's more projection based on the, the behaviors and the driving habits that we see and that we can drive. The, the other aspect I think uh, is also worth mentioning is that the system works in real time. It's uh, unlike most of the telematic systems uh, used today, 
it's not only about um, uh, looking how the driver is doing over time. And then in case of a crash, of course, that wasn't good. Uh, you understand why that happened. We want to prevent a crash. In order to prevent a crash, you have to make the driver behave differently. And the only way to do it, or the best way to do it, is not to coach the driver offline, but to coach the driver as things happen. So if you are hitting the brakes too often or too hard, or you're accelerating too often, then you want to tell the driver when that's happening, not uh, a day later or a week later. It's too late. And, and then, uh, you know, if, if there's any chance that to prevent crashes, it's only if you change behavior driver before crashes build up. Gotcha. Makes sense. Rob? I just kind of building on this uh, theme, Roberto, of um, you know the, the the nexus with the insurance. Um, I know that uh, Drive had uh, signed a, a partnership with Coverwell, which is an MGA uh, that's uh, sold through retail agents, and um, I believe you guys were offering a twenty percent discount uh, for uh, commercial fleets that were adopting your technology. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that partnership with uh, Coverwell as kind of an example of how you guys are partnering with uh, insurance entities. Well, I'm, uh, I don't want to speak for Coverwell because it's uh, their role, but they are clearly at the leading front uh, of uh, a new wave of insurance companies who are willing to take a chance uh, providing higher discounts in exchange for a better understanding of uh, how the driver is doing. Um, I think this is... Uh, in my mind, this is going to be inevitable in the entire industry, but for now, it's uh, just the beginning. And uh, Coverwell is a, a very good pioneer in the space. And uh, we're happy to be one of the partners uh, working on this and, and trying to figure out uh, what are the, the critical aspects of uh, a person's driving that really matter. What are the, the traits of your driving skills that turn into higher or lower uh, risk of collisions. So speeding is definitely one of them, but it's not the only one. You, know, you can be a speeder all the time. Yes, you, are, you know, raise the risk, but if you are very attentive, uh, most of the time you handle things properly. And there may be some somebody else uh, who is uh, never a speeder, but falls asleep and then gets into the ditch, and then all of a sudden the, the damage is there and you didn't see it coming. For example, if you get an Italian named Roberto and you put him in a Ferrari, and, and he's <laughs> born and raised in Italy, so he knows how to drive a Ferrari, and you put him on the highway and he goes 100 miles an hour, it's going to be fine because Roberto's going to pay attention and he knows how to work that machine, right? Yeah, yeah you know, the, the, the other side of the coin is that if you're used to drive at that speed, which I used to do when I was in, uh, in Italy, <laughs> uh, and then you drive at uh, 55, 65 uh, miles an hour here, you get bored. <laughs> then you, you move from <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Whenever I leave Texas, because our speed limits here are pretty nice you know we yeah. uh, we have some tollways in our area that are 85 so you can really go about 90 and yeah. you, you, you go you go to new york and new jersey and you're at 55 and you're going i cannot believe i have to drive this slow i mean <laughs> like what is the point speed the the point is and, and uh, all kidding aside right speed speed is not the speed is actually not even a really good indicator at all it's really about erratic behavior attentive driving i mean Inattention in driving is a far, in my opinion, inattention and, and impaired driving yes. from drugs and alcohol are far bigger risks than someone who is fast. If they're fast, but they pay a lot of attention, mm -hmm. they, they have, they, they are, you know, they're, they're still a pretty decent risk, surprisingly, just from, you know, at least from what I would see of, of a number of accidents. But, you know, in, in, inattentive driving is a horrible, horrible thing. So you're, you know, it, it would make sense that you would prioritize how attentive the driver is. Yeah, this actually leads uh, to another <clears throat> a sort of extension of what we're doing. Uh, we, we started with traditional vehicles uh, that had uh, virtually no driving assist. 
and I noticed that as you start getting used to using more uh, capabilities of the car to stay in lane, to stay at some distance, uh, you may be tempted to uh, spend more time looking around. Even if you are still driving, uh, you know that the car is going to keep you in lane and then you look at the side and what's that, that restaurant? Uh, you, you know, in you spend more time than you would do in uh, before using driving assist. And as you move towards uh, self-driving, like the super cruiser uh, on certain highways, so you are entitled to look away more in some cases, uh, completely, depending on on the engine. <clears throat> uh, the the problem is that uh, you stand, tend to uh, feel this, disassociated from what is happening around you. And then by the time you need to take over, uh, you lost uh, context. And then it takes some time to be fully alert again. So the, we think that there is uh, an important transition happening as you rely more and more on level two, level three assisted cars to uh, monitoring and making sure that the driver is still aware of what's going on. So in case he needs to take over or wants to take over, uh, he has the whole history in, in mind of what happened in the road. Well noted. Rob? Yeah, I think that's a great point, Roberto. And I, I do think about things like lane departure warnings, right? That can go off and can be very nice to kind of show that you're drifting into another lane. But depending on Right, or were you talking about urban traffic? Are you talking about, you know, some of the, the rural Texas highways or things like that? Like it may even be too late, right? Once I'm starting to, to, mm-hmm. to, to leave the lane to be warning. And, um, that's kind of reactive in terms of how the vehicle's responding. It's not looking at the driver's behavior the way drive solutions are. So I'd imagine that. You talked about that real-time feedback to drivers. I think about the things like wearables that I've done pilot projects in the past when there's always a debate in, in that community of do you provide what's known as haptic feedback, either an audio or a mm-hmm. buzz, perhaps, you know, you're bending down, right? You're kind of lifting. Do you give them that feedback in the moment to say, hey, you actually bent the wrong way. You bent at the waist, not at the knees, things like that, so that you can correct the behavior then, or is that too distracting? And, you know, you give them that safety report at the end of the day and said, hey, you know, try to do better the, the, mm-hmm. the next day. So, you know, just maybe you could talk a little bit more about the real-time aspect that you are actually intervening, right, with drivers to make them more aware mm-hmm. in the moment and help make them be more aware of their behaviors and, and course correct in a way that, just relying on those ADAS-type solutions is, is maybe a bit more reactive than proactive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we, we have a notion of warnings and alerts. So for instance, they are all audible. The, the warnings are usually just the sounds, very peculiar sounds that you don't get to hear normally in a car. They don't have to be loud. They're very short, and you can easy, easily learn them. And if a warning is ignored, uh, then we follow up with an, an alert message. At that point, you know, this is going to be noted and becomes a part of your scoring. And then if the uh, you keep doing certain things, uh, let's say you keep being distracted, uh, your score is going to be affected. If this is becomes a part of the uh, measurement criteria about insurance, uh, chances are that you may have to pay more. So you, it doesn't happen. A single distraction is not going to kill you. It's not going to change your premium. But if you have repeated patterns and they get noticed and you um, forego them, I mean, you ignore them, then uh, eventually uh, you're going to be hit by a higher premium and you want to know that. So we, it's a transition from being warned and having the opportunity to change your behavior to uh, ignoring it and then knowing where and why uh, your premium went up and, and you may not like it. Yeah, I think about patterns of behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I like to sometimes to make an analogy. If you have a toddler um, and uh, you uh, you tell the toddler, I remember three days ago you were walking next uh, to the um, <clears throat> uh, ice cream uh, and, um, shop and then 
you, you touch this and don't, you shouldn't do it. Now, it, it becomes hard for a kid to relate to it and make use of it. Uh, if you if he does it and you say it right away, then it becomes an immediate lesson and it becomes much easier to associate with what you're doing wrong. Uh, so your real-time feedback, I think, is fundamental uh, to get a sense of uh, how bad your mistake is um, and, um, and react to it. The, um, the other side of the same coin is that if you actually do change your behavior, today, and no system is telling you, hey, James, I did a good job, much better than yesterday. Uh, if you have that, and then uh, at the right time, you get a, a little motivational reward that tells you, uh, today, uh, you did uh, 3% better than yesterday on distraction. Yeah? You used to be a little borderline now within the range. And then you keep doing it, and then at the end of the week, say, hey, you know what? You are 15% better than last week. Keep doing a good job. And this may, may eventually lead to a bigger discount. So it becomes uh, an incentive to keep uh, paying attention and keep doing the right thing because you see a reward. Yeah, very well. Mm. So let's let's wrap with this question because I always like thinking about the future. I'm a sci-fi fan. Yeah. You know, so I, I think about think about Star Trek. I think about teleporters and, <laughs> you know, I think about uh, 3D printers that print food. And <laughs> I think about a lot of these things. Like I, yeah. I, but, you know, a lifetime of watching science fiction. So mm -hmm. if you had to... If you had to paint a science fiction world, what, what's the future of Drive look like beyond a year from now, way out? Without going too much sci-fi, I would say uh, I like to see a technology like ours uh, built into uh, next generation vehicles. Uh, if you see what has what is happening in Europe, uh, NCAP is mandating um, <clears throat> monitoring uh, tools inside every single vehicle. Uh, so it's, it's not going to be just super cruise or just some uh, manufacturers are doing it. Uh, it will be across the board. So the ability to look at what the driver is doing is going to be part of all vehicles within a few years. Uh, what we like to do is uh, take advantage of uh, that the big, uh, powerful sensory environment and, and turn it to, uh, to be useful to the driver, uh, in addition to the manufacturer who wants to know how uh, the car has been driven. Looking a little more in the future, I think that conceptually, something like um, a wearable watch, uh, phone, bracelet, that uh, is aware of your context uh, and may see uh, risks are happening to you, may give you warnings uh, um, like you're jumping off the cliff or something. Those things uh, could be uh, extensions of what we're doing now for driving safety, but could they really be for your own safety anywhere you are? And then it could give you uh, warnings. And then it's up to you to uh, follow recommendations or ignore them, but at least you're warned. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a... Uh... Potentially a brave, new, exciting world. Uh, hopefully, a much safer one, right? Like that's the. I think you know the the, the big goal is driving accidents to zero. Mm -hmm. It's often been said that if uh, if everybody followed the rules on the road, that we'd have almost no accidents. Obviously, you have some accidents that are caused by mechanical failure, weather, animals, but uh, so many are caused because people simply weren't following the rules yeah. or paying attention. So it has the potential to radically change safety, but also radically change uh, this whole category of insurance. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I think the other aspect that uh, will become interesting when you have a mix of uh, self-driving vehicles and traditional ones with whatever level of assist they have, uh, from an insurance perspective, it will be important to know what happened, who was in charge, and uh, if there was a, a transfer of control, yeah. uh, did it happen at the right time? Was it justified? Um, so it, it will be very uh, important to have enough information about what happened in transition to fix the systems and fix behaviors and make sure that uh, everybody uh, takes advantage of uh, the new technology. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Rob, any closing comments? 
Yeah, no, I just want to echo Roberto what you were saying. I think that's a very interesting future when, you know, we've we've talked about this theoretically with autonomous driving is at what point does it become a, a product liability uh, that's borne by the OEMs rather than the auto insurers. And so um, when we're living in the kind of this mixed world where the car is driving itself sometimes, but then is relying on a human driver other t- t- times, you know, when was the, the human warned that they needed to take over? Did they respond in an appropriate manner? at the appropriate time, um, that may determine, right, where the liability uh, stands. And I also think, James, you know, you've seen them, I'm sure, all the uh, billboards we've got around town, all the buses, uh, all those lawyers advertising, hey, you've been hit by an 18-wheeler, call me, right? And uh, think about a solution like Roberto's talking about with Drive, right, could really cut down on those types of accidents. And to me, I don't know about you guys, you know, the fewer lawyer billboards that I see around town, the better. That means we're actually making real progress. The better. Yeah, I'm I'm thankful we live in Texas where we have some limits on on litigation but we still don't have enough in my opinion let's say uh there's there's a there's so much of it you know the other thing i think rob just tapping into a, a theme in your book end of insurance as we know it just a little side note in case anybody forgot what rob's book is um is is fraud you know if if you actually have um all the data on drivers i mean theoretically with customers who had this you would you would potentially drive fraud to zero I mean, you could potentially do that because mm-hmm. you would have a full array of sensor and safety and camera data mm-hmm. on the user and be able to tell exactly what happened. I mean, it's it's a real thing. So I think that's something to think about as well is not just eliminating uh, a lot of needless accidents, but also su- significantly curbing the, the uh, epidemic of fraud and in auto insurance. Mm-hmm. So uh, it would be... Uh, a, a huge, uh, a huge deal. I think Rob. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more, James. Yeah. So, uh, Roberto, thank you for joining us today. It's always good to geek out. It's always good to talk with uh, a, a fellow tech nerd who's done something really cool. You've worked on some really cool projects before you got into this, and I'm glad you're tackling this problem in the space. So it's uh, it's exciting to have you on. Exciting to talk about the uh, about the technology. Thank you. I'm pleasure being here. Awesome. And uh, thanks to all the listeners out there. Side note. Uh, Rob's got a, a book and an audiobook, right? End of insurance as we know it. Um, I have a book that was just released a few weeks ago called Be Your Own VC about how to bootstrap innovation. Uh, actually talk with Rob in the book. So that's a, that's a fun one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, so just, just a, a side note on that. But uh, I just want to mention, I just finished recording the audiobook. So it's in editing and it'll be out soon. I recorded it with my own voice. Uh, so took a little while, but uh, was a fun project to work on and it will be out soon. So just keep your eyes peeled for Be Your Own VC. This has been the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by JB Knowledge. It's jbknowledge.com. All about technology that is transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham, jamesbenham.com, with co-host Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, and Kara Daltonaro, our creative producer. And thank you for joining us today. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out.